0: You know, it's easy to tell when you look at somebody what they're passionate about. Or, or I should say, when somebody starts talking about something they're passionate about, it's easy to tell. You ever notice Jeff Lund's face when he starts talking about fixing cars? You know, it just, it emanates from him. You know Eric Johnson, right? There's, there's only like four people in the world that get real, real excited about junior high kids. He's one of them. And when you start talking about junior high kids with him, he, he just there's something about it that's infectious. We have an opportunity today to hear from Jason Soschnick, who, when he starts talking about the subject he's going to share about, just lights up. He's passionate about it. It flows from him. And I've gotten to see this, uh, this passion for, man, it's been about eight years now, and I've, I've gotten to see how it, it, it started. Uh, well, I don't even know where it started, but... <laughs> Um, I got to see it first in our youth group, and it has grown from local youth groups in Spokane to a national. So I told him I wouldn't say much to introduce him, but I am thrilled that you guys get to be here to see his passion. Uh, we have been in prayer for this Sunday for weeks, knowing that this is something that, uh, that we need to hear. And uh, thankfully, we get to hear it from somebody who is uh, dynamic, uh, gifted, and... Uh, definitely god 's voice in the wilderness of of what is going on today in this topic Jason, come and uh, come and share with us this morning
1: Thank you <clears throat> well hi, good morning, morning. Uh, it 's my pleasure to be here. I uh, was just looking at my watch and it 's only nine five so we 've got an hour and a half that 's awesome. <laughs> um, obviously <laughs> i 'm joking it 's ten ' five. But I sometimes wonder if uh, the change in time is, is a cruel joke. Uh, I know at the beginning of the year, when, when uh, we get to switch right before the, the winter, uh, we get to, to add an hour. That's always a really great thing, I like that extra hour of sleep. Um, especially as um, a, a parents of new, a newborn, it's always really nice to get that extra hour of sleep, although they don't realize you get an extra hour of sleep. Um, But the other thing is, is though, now I'm starting like this one because now our newborn thinks, you know, 8 o'clock is is 7 o'clock. So that works really well. We're really happy with that. So glad you can make it here this morning. Um, Real quick, uh, I I work with an organization called Project 619. Uh, If you were to ask me how I got involved talking on the issues of sex, sexuality, relationship, um, it was a fluke. And it was just God. Uh, this was not when I was in high school thinking, I want to grow up and talk about sex. Uh, that, that was not the thing I, I, I desired. And, uh, but God got a hold of my life and, and powerful in powerful and real ways. And um, I've just been very fortunate to be able to share my testimony, uh, the work that Christ has done in my life, through my life. And, and hopefully you'll get a spark of that today. Uh, And and I'm just really thankful. Project 619 is the name of the organization that I get to oversee. Actually, Heidi Spots is on our board. Um, She gives me all the input I need and uh, advice uh, with regards to finances, accounting, because I'm lost without her. So um, it's really helpful to have her here and and to have her also be uh, passionate about what we do. And, and so today, I'm going to dive in. I, you know, we're going to be talking about human trafficking. Uh, Project 619 does not necessarily tackle it directly, but we do tackle it indirectly. We're much more on the proactive side rather than the reactive side. And you're going to hear a little bit about that. But Project 619, the name of the organization that I work with, comes from the exhortation that Paul gave to Timothy, a young disciple, to take hold of the life that's truly life. At the end of his first letter, Paul's letter to Timothy, he says, take hold of the life that's truly life. Embrace the life that is true life. And, and if for any of you that have been to church for a while, have, have heard the gospel message, know that the place of true life is found in Christ. And the reality is, um, I, I think that we make the mistake of, of sometimes uh, uh, placing sex and, and other things in our culture uh, on a pedestal very high up. We, we treat them as a thing that is going to be true life, forgetting that the place of true life, of true relationship, starts and ends with Jesus Christ. And so that's the heart of our ministry. That's where Project 619 uh, it has its uh, directive, and it's the place that we uh, go. So, um... I would love for you, if you have the opportunity today to follow along, great. I am going to be hopping around a little bit because I I don't want to just start with um, the dynamic of human trafficking, some of the stats that are going on. I think that so often what we do is we we miss the opportunity to share the big story. See, we've been written into a beautiful and wonderful story. And the thing that I realize is that uh, within this story, uh, it has a beginning and it has an end. But so often what we do is we start in the middle. Uh, See, the story starts with creation, and it ends with this dynamic of consummation, but so often what we do is we we only tell two parts of the story, the very middle, uh, the fall and redemption. And and see, I think that we have to be able to tell the complete story, because if we don't tell the the complete story, we can sometimes miss an opportunity, and I don't want to just start with the sin of what's happening. I want to start with what creation showed us. Um, So uh, I'm going to start in Genesis Now, uh, is my computer up and running? It is? Okay. Uh, Hold on one second. Uh, Because I'm going to, as we get started, we're going to start in Genesis 1, uh, chapter 1. Let me see here. Uh, It's always funny when you try to trust technology to be your friend. Uh, Okay, well, that might not work. Okay, well, just follow along. So Genesis 1, uh, chapter, uh, or I'm sorry, chapter 1, verse 27, it starts with this. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. See, there is something that we have to first understand within this story, that we have all been created in the image of God. In fact, say that word, say image. image. Yes, we've all been created in the image of God. And that is something that so often we forget, that we have been created in the image of our creator. And here's the thing that we know about God. When he created humans, when he created all of creation, it wasn't just good, it was very good, right? When it got to the dynamic of human beings, it was very good. And we miss that sometimes, because sometimes we take what the culture tells us rather than what God tells us. See, scripture tells us we are made in the image of God, and that's a beautiful and wonderful thing. But so often what we do is we begin to believe something that is just not true. We begin to believe things about ourselves that are just not true. We take what the culture tells us about ourselves rather than what Scripture tells us about ourselves. See, made in the image of God means that God has made something beautiful. He makes only beautiful things. Is that Right? And, and the thing that we find when we look at the uh, being made in the image of God is that he doesn't make junk, he makes beauty. And so we have to realize that man, woman, male, female have been created in the image of God. And so th- they come with great treasure and beauty. It's very good, not just good, very good. And then in Genesis 2, you, you get this uh, perspective of how uh, uh, God saw all that he had made and it was very good. And it goes further. The man said... Now this is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of the man. I I, I love this part. So often sometimes uh, what we can do is we can can look at this, we can uh, uh, read these words and sometimes miss what is happening. I don't know if you ever do your devotional and you just kind of read through but not really taking in. Uh, Like the thing that I really love about Scripture is that, especially in the Old Testament and especially uh, when we go to the New Testament as well, there is a dynamic that is there that is at play and in the old testament the language is so rich the words have multitudes of meaning the hebrew language have so few words but the words that were used were important and it says this bone of my bones and sometimes we just read over i remember when i was younger i'd read this and it would say bone of my bones and i'd be like oh that's a funny way of saying okay <laughs> to, to coming together but here, here is what we have to understand. These words, when they're, when they're, when they're fused together, when the words are used, it, it, is, it is with great passion and great desire. Like when Adam is speaking these words, bone of my bone. I mean, it's like if you were to go to the opera, I don't know if you've ever been to the opera, right? Like they sing with great passion and I can imagine Adam in the garden singing with great passion, bone of my bone. <laughs> if you weren't awake before, you are now. Um, uh. Flesh in my flesh, right? Like, like he, is, he is coming from deep within here. There, there, is, there is something that he sees. And it speaks to the creation, the image, but it speaks to also something else. It's passion, desire. And it goes on further because we even get a clear idea where it says united to his wife and they become one flesh. The word one is this word ikad. And especially when it's coupled with this word flesh, there is a powerful and wonderful reality that we find. It's fusing together in the deepest sense. See, sex is this dynamic that that brings together a cod, as it's spoken here, is the fusing together of multiple parts, it's unity, it's oneness. I love the the way in which it's explained even here. Echad is when the lines are blurred between man and woman. Akkad is when you're wrapped up so close with another human being that you're not uh, uh, sure who's who anymore. Akkad is when you are known, when you know you are known. In fact, it's really interesting. In Genesis 4, 1, it, it says this dynamic of Adam knew Eve. It doesn't say Adam had sex with Eve. No, no, it says Adam knew Eve. I find that highly interesting. And it didn't, it, it says his wife, actually, not, not just Eve. And those are important words. It doesn't say Adam knew his girlfriend, right? It doesn't say Adam knew the neighbor. No, it says Adam knew his wife. Knew, knew. See, there, there is something that we find when we begin to talk about image and body Soul and sex, a cod, it's being fused together in the deepest sense. And here's the the reality the only thing that God had created to contain the energy with which this fusion happens is marriage. Now, this is where it becomes really difficult because that's not always what we see in our culture. That's not what we often see around us. See, the dynamic of sex has become something a little bit different. And unfortunately, I I think that um, we in the church have become just as responsible as those outside the church. Uh, Because of the way we talk about this. See, Akkad is this fusion, this coming together. And and we have to understand that. We have to be able to talk about sex in such ways that we understand where it started, where it was created. Because God did not just have sex show up on the scene. God had sex as part of his creation. God invented sex. God did not look down on Adam and Eve and, like, look down and and see them behind a bush and say, Oh, my gosh, what are you doing? (laughs) That's not what occurred it was a part of the creation story, and it was beautiful, and it was good, and it was worshipful. And what God knew is that when He created this, it was to bring together in a powerful and wonderful way. Well, here is what we also see is in our culture there is something else happening besides a cod. And it's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Uh, if you have your Bible, you could actually stay in this verse. We'll come back to this a few times. But Paul is writing to the Corinth church. And, and here's the thing that I love so much about Scripture. It's real people, real places, real things that are occurring. that we, they're, they're tangible. In fact, we can even visit some of these sites. And I'll, I'll talk about Corinth here in a moment. But 1 Corinthians, this, this dynamic, Paul is writing to the Corinthian church. And maybe you've seen this. I mean, we're, we're, 1 Corinthians is famous for the, the verses on love, right? Oh, it's a beautiful declaration of what love is. But Paul also writes to this society, this group, that, that, that is using sex in ways that are not glorifying, that do not look at the power of a God. They're looking at something else, and there's a word that Paul points out or uses that's out of the Greek. It's this word pornia. That might actually sound familiar. It's actually uh, the root of where we get the word pornography. Pornia. Sexual immorality is how it's translated. And I want to I read through this. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For it is written, the two will become one flesh. He is calling back what we see in Genesis. In fact, one of the few times that Jesus speaks on the issue of sex, he actually, it's through adultery and divorce, he actually references the creation story. He references Genesis. Because I know that sometimes we say, well, Jesus doesn't really talk about sex. He doesn't. But what does he do? He references back to where the declaration of what it was is. Going further, the two will become one flesh, but he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God. You are not your own, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God with your body. Glorify God with your body. See, here is the dynamic. That word sexual morality, sexual immoral, it comes from this word parnaia. Um And parniah is everything that is outside of God's design for sex. And I would say there's a lot of pornaya going on in our world. Now, there are other words, too. Uh, pornos is another way that, that it's uh, used in the King James Version. Um, it, it's, uh, it, it's, it's translated as sexual whoremonger. That is never something I would ever want to call someone. Um, but there is this dynamic. These words, the root of them are, are this powerful and, and, and very important thing for us to understand that it's outside of God's design for sex. And we see this in our culture today. It's why we gather on a Sunday like this to 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 declare freedom from what? Well, human trafficking. But what we're really declaring freedom from is pornia, everything that is outside of God's design for sex. And, and it's really uh, it's really interesting that we look at the Corinth church. Uh, Corinthia, uh, or Corinth um, was uh, it, it, at the end of this isthmus. This this place where uh, there was a lot of travel. It was it was a it was a place where there there you would you would um, essentially it was a shortcut. Now now there's a canal in about the eighth century BC uh, or um, sorry AD. They um, they actually created a canal that cut through the isthmus. This little uh, stretch of land uh, that you see there. And, and, um, and so shippers, uh, uh, sailors would actually, uh, instead of going around the island, which would cause there were a lot of storms and other things, it was really difficult to travel, they would actually cut through this little inlet. And what they would do is they would, uh, they would uh, s- uh, sail up to a dock uh, on one side of the Isthmus, and then they would load all their stuff up and take it across the Isthmus to the other side to then continue on and get on another ship. So it was a port of sorts. It was a place where uh, you had a number of sailors, of, of travelers, of all these other things. And so it was also a place where, well, you would have prostitutes. Uh, here's another picture you could see. It's, it's a little bit more clear. This is modern day Corinth. You can now see the canal that's there. Uh, but, but you can see where there uh, might be uh, docks, where the ships might... Uh, come and station and then they would transport their goods to the other side and while they were making this four and a half mile trek across the land maybe they would stop and and uh, seek out certain favors see the dynamic of the setting that they were in paul was writing to what he saw and what he saw was not what was god's design for this it was not Echad, it was, it was this dynamic that was outside of God's design for sex. Um, in fact, in Paul's day, Corinth, um, uh, y- it was a place where um, it was actually slang for a call girl. It, it was, um, uh, I mean, can you imagine, like, it, it, they would say, stay away from Corinth, like this call girl. I mean, can you imagine if we lived in a city much like that? Stay away from, from, from Spokane. Don't be a Spokaneite. <laughs> that would not be a, a fun thing to have declared upon yourself, Right? or to be remembered for. But that was what Corinth was. And so Paul is saying, listen, sex is something more than just physical. You're missing the bigger story. Sex involves all of you. What you do with it matters. Let me see here. What's the? Uh, pranaya is everything outside of God's design for sex. And so what we find is this. We see this dynamic that takes place. See, we have a cod that's the beauty of what God intended, and then pranaya, everything that is outside of God's design for sex. And that's why we have issues like we do today. See, Corinth was one of these places that sex slavery actually probably took place. It's one of the more likely places in, in, in the passages of Scripture that we find where, where sex slavery could have existed because of the port, because of the place, because of the dynamic of, of who came and went through that city. Human trafficking today is a reality on a scale that we could have never imagined. You, you saw on the video earlier that, that we have over 27 million slaves. There's more slaves today than ever before, and you think, well, how does that work? This is not the way that we think of it where there are chains and there is bondage. No, these are things where, where people are forced into it. They're stolen from their homes at a young age, and this is all they know. And, and it's not just sex slavery, although that's the, the area that we're, we're focusing on. It's child uh, uh, slavery. It's, it's uh, sweatshops, things that we, we have become familiar with. Uh, Six hundred to 800,000 people are trafficked across international borders every year. Um, what else do we have? 32 billion in total yearly profits. And then we also see this. It's happening in Spokane. The dynamic that we see happening in Spokane is that we have become a hub for getting them out into another area. Um, An individual from Goodwill said this, Spokane has a significant teen prostitution problem and is considered an entry area for child prostitutes. They're initiated here and then moved to a larger metro area. In fact, the I-5 corridor is famous for for, um, uh, just having uh, individuals that are brought to that area and then transported between Portland and Seattle, back and forth. But here's how it starts. In some instances, it starts where uh, individuals are groomed. Kevin Parker, who is a state representative, some of you might be familiar with him, has fought hard to to establish new laws here in our state, laws that we did not have uh, before on human trafficking. And one of the things that he he tells is stories of individuals where, where young girls are groomed. Essentially, men, older men, act as boyfriends and essentially do the work of separating them from their parents pit them against their parents. And then once that's done, they get them into a situation where they, they, they have them uh, uh, go into a place that they would never have thought before. Maybe having sex with a friend, maybe having sex with someone else that they knew. But they put them in situations where they feel worse about themselves and they feel like they can't tell their parents. And they create a bigger divide until finally this individual has all the control. And at that point, the individual then can transport them to another place. Say, move with me, I will take care of you. This is a reality, not just there, but here. Is it rare? Yeah. But does that matter? It's happening. And we have to be able to to pay attention to that. But here is the other dynamic that we have to be able to realize. That this oftentimes leads to, to issues of pornography, because human trafficking is directly linked to our use of pornography. It's directly linked to the things that we see and we find. One of the things that we find is this. I remember this story. Uh, I, 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 there's a program over in Vancouver that's called Deceptions. And uh, they invited a young girl whose story was much like the one I just shared. Her name was Melissa. And she had this boyfriend that essentially got his uh, older man, and got the, her to think that he was the one that was going to take care of her the rest of her life, she began to trust him more than she trusted her parents. And so he groomed her. He got her to a place where he, she eventually started sneaking out. And then finally, at the, the last, last little bit, he got her to, to um, sleep with him, but then also to sleep with some of his friends. And then what he said is he, he held that over her. And he essentially moved her away and said, how could you ever go back to your parents after what you've done? thinking that her parents wouldn't forgive her she followed him. And eventually that led to him uh, placing her in a ring of individuals that, that, that controlled her reaction, and it eventually led to her being a part of pornography, being a part of uh, pornographic images and pictures, things that she would have never, ever considered before. But because her self-image and who she was had been destroyed, he contro- controlled all of that, and it wasn't until she made a friend that ultimately got her out of that that things changed. See what we find when we look at, at the link between human trafficking and pornography is this. First of all, it's several children, young adults, that are ending up, that, that, be tra- that are trafficked, and it, essentially they then end up in uh, uh, pornographic films. It's not always. But one of the things that we find, though, is this. Because this is the second ingredient that we find. Is that those individuals, um, even that choose to be in pornographic uh, films, are doing it by choice. They are a part of sex trafficking under U.S. law. Let me give you an example. Because one of the things that we find when it comes to the dynamic of sex trafficking, as defined by U.S. federal law, it's this. The recruitment harboring transportation provision or obtaining of a person for the purpose of a commercial sex act. So even under federal law, it's defined as trafficking, as sex trafficking. And third, those individuals that are viewing pornography are contributing in the act of human trafficking, both by watching it, but here's the thing, the way that the brain is wired, it can only put up with so much stimuli for so long until they have to move to another place and they have to experiment with this. And so what do they do? They move out to places uh, in the old days it would have been a brothel. Now it's street corners. And a lot of times the individuals that have uh, ended up being in the career of prostitution it has not always been by choice. So they begin to uh, not only having seen but also participate in the act of trafficking and not being aware of it. So we have to be able to recognize this is happening in our city and it's happening around us each and every day. Pernaya, everything outside of God's design for sex, destroys the individual, and it destroys the community. Here are, are just uh, five quick points that I want to point out when we start talking about this. First of all, uh, uh, actually, I want to highlight this. Um, MIT did this study, because a lot of times we can think porno- pornography does not have an influence on the way that we uh, look at Uh, society, the way we look at individuals. So MIT actually brought in a a number of students and individuals from the Boston community and they wanted to do a a research study. They wanted to find out okay how does this really have an impact? And so what they did is this they they asked them four uh, questions. Could you imagine having sex with a 12 year old girl? Would you tell a woman that you loved her to increase the chance that she would have sex with you? Would you slip a woman a drug to increase the chance that she would have sex with you? Would you keep trying to have sex after your date says no? Those were the questions that were asked. And obviously, the responses were very low. Of course not, we would say. Then they had them watch high doses of pornography. They had had them for several hours view, look at, participate in pornographic images and films. And here is what happened. Could you imagine having sex with a 12-year-old girl up 23%? Would you tell a woman that you loved her to increase the chances she would have sex with you? Up twenty one percent. Would you slip a woman a drug to increase the chances she would have sex with you? Up twenty one percent. Would you keep trying to have sex after your date says no? Up twenty five percent. Interesting. Um, yesterday we celebrated. Uh, it was Women's uh, uh, Day. Uh, there were a lot of uh, celebrations or a lot of things that happened around the city, and it was interesting. I watched a thing on on PBS yesterday that talked about how. The way in which we even uh, celebrate the woman's body in pop culture, the way we objectify it, has actually led to higher degrees of violence, of domestic violence, of of, of violence against women. And, And what we have to understand is that we think that this doesn't have an impact on us, but it does. Paul knew that then when he was writing to the Corinth church, and we have to understand that now. So, Pranaya, how does it impact the way that we respond? Well, first of all, instead of viewing men and women created in the image of God uh, with dignity and inherent worth, a sexualized culture views them as objects to be bought and sold for the pleasure of others. That was never what God intended when we were made in the image of God. That was never what what we we looked at and and would say, yes, no, that's just not. A sexualized culture... One that that, uh, looks at pranaya, objects to be, uh, uh, views them as objects to be bought and sold. That's why I think human trafficking has increased in the last several years. Second, instead of viewing sexual relationship as a sacred and complex union of man and woman within the protective and permanent boundaries of marriage, a sexualized culture views it as a brief, shallow, and selfishly motivated use of one person uh, whose body and interests are subordinated to the other. The dynamic of marriage has completely changed. And we see this uh, happening both outside the church and, unfortunately, even inside the church. Instead of teaching men and women to respect uh, uh, women as fellow human beings who are equal in worth, a sexualized culture conditions men to view women as sexual commodities, Fourth, instead of honoring and esteeming women, a sexualized culture devalues them and pressures them to present themselves to men as sex objects. It's interesting. In our culture, we, um, a a man, by the time he turns 18, has typically spent about 10,000 hours uh, playing video games. Most of that in isolation. That has a tremendous impact on the way men... Look at women because if you think about some of the video games that are out there, if you're at all familiar with it, all many of those games objectify women. There's a great deal of violence. If you just think of simply driving to church on a day like today, there are many billboards. The commercials have gotten much more sexualized. What we see is that these things are starting to have an influence on the way that we act, the way that we respond. One of the biggest issues I see on campuses across the country. Whether it's a campus at Whitworth that's a Christian college or UW is the dynamic or the lack of a, an ability to date, to date well, to really even understand what dating is. Here's the, the last thing. Instead of protecting the most vulnerable among us, a sexualized culture trains young people to exploit others and to tolerate their own Exploitation. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be a part of any of that. See, we have the ability, the responsibility as a church to be able to respond to this, to to look at Pranaya and say, no, that is not God's plan. Let me say these few things as we close up, because there are steps to restoring a cod in our culture, the fusing together. Of rejoicing in that beauty. The first is this: we need to be able to flee. We need to be able to flee. It says that in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins or a person commits are outside the body, but whoever wins sexually or sins sexually sins against their own body. See, here's the, the thing that I, I realize. In our culture, the one thing that we typically do, and we've even done this in the churches, we, we want to fight the good fight. We want to battle. We teach one another. We got to go to battle. And actually, Scripture, over and over again, when it comes to sexual immorality, when it comes to pranaya, it says, flee, run, get the heck out of there. And I, and I think that, that when, we, when we stay and fight, that's where Satan, I think, has, has a great deal of power. Because we think we can conquer it. We think that we can beat it. But here's the deal. Scripture actually, Paul writes and says, flee, run, get out of there. And for some of us, it's not just fleeing. It's also putting up walls. It's also putting up uh, uh, structures of protection. When it comes to pornography, you might have to use some sort of filtering system You might need to be able to put into place things where other people are seeing exactly where you're going, where your friends are going. I have been fortunate enough to have a great group of friends, but one of the things that that I've done is I've instilled walls, not because I need them, but because I really believe in the the need to flee even when it's not uh, imminent. Covenant Eyes is a a, a company that allows for uh, filtering and allows for tracking Um, I actually believe uh, filtering is needed for some people, uh, but for others, I I actually think the best way is to have others be aware of where you're going and what you're doing. So I actually have a software that tracks and and reports to other people exactly where I'm going. They're older individuals, um, they're younger individuals, people that I'm mentoring and being mentored by, and I even have my wife who receives uh, what I'm doing. Now, I work in in a, in a, uh, a profession that I have some very interesting searches on my Google, right? I, I mean, like the, the dynamic of the searches that I have uh, uh, are not ones that normal people have. And so, so what I understand is I need to protect myself. I know that I'm not looking for anything specific, but the things that pop up on today's Internet is, is surprising. In fact, the thing with pornography, the thing that I know is that it's not you trying to find it, but it will find you. That is the reality of today's pornography. And it's no longer what it used to be. <laughs> uh-huh. You know, when, when, when I was younger, I used to go into my parents' bedroom on a computer the size of uh, an oven, and, uh, and, and I would do this thing called dial up. Some of you still might have it, um, right? But it would beep, 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 <laughs> and then it would ah! <laughs> It sounded like someone is dying in my computer. And then it would do this like, Aah! And then it would say, welcome. That was, that was weird and scary. Today, it's, it's simply by the use of a, of a phone. That's where most teens, most adults are getting their pornography. The unfortunate thing is this, it's not going away. Pornographers make billions upon billions of dollars. If you combine all major league sports, they make, all, they make more money than all major league sports combined. You could even throw in there a Google, an Apple, and Microsoft if you wanted to. Pornographers make more money than you could ever imagine. Multi-billions of dollars. Hundreds of billions of dollars are made in this industry. So flee. <clears throat> the second thing is this. Um, Be proactive for God's sake rather than reactive to Pranaya's destruction. Now, here is what we do a really good job of. I'm really thankful that issues like human trafficking is becoming something that we talk often about. We need to. We need to talk about it more than just one Freedom Sunday. We need to talk more about pornography in the church because it is epidemic. In 2008, there was a poll done by pastors.com that looked at how many pastors actively viewed pornography. It was 46%. The, the reality is we see this happening all around us, but we don't respond. We don't talk about it. We leave it in the dark, and that is where Satan has all the power. We need to be proactive. I, I remember I talked to Dave Bat when Batstone is the founder of um, Not for Sell, it, it's, he actually is responsible for a lot of the End It, the Freedom Sunday, they, they started uh, this prog, uh, progression in the church, and one of the things that, that I, I, I sometimes struggle with, I, I say, you know, talking about sex is not sexy. You know, going to a church and giving God's declaration for what sex is can sometimes be like, I'm always like, no. The truth is, I believe that God's no's are always encompassed within a larger yes. But here's what I, I see. I, I, I just, I know the struggle of talking about this. This is not what people, this is not the most popular thing to talk about. And I, and I said, Man, I, I, I love what you're doing. I, I, I really appreciate it. How, how do we be a voice in this? Do we have to talk more about this? And he said, Just keep doing what you're doing. Just keep doing what you're doing. Because what he said is, is, you have to be proactive. We need people out there that are trying to eliminate this from ever happening. And then we need voices that are out there that are helping get people out of and restoring and healing and trying to stop it in those ways. We need both. That's why I'm thankful for Project 619. We're able to go into schools. We're able to go into churches. We go into organizations. We're able to very clearly declare God's good word when it comes to sex. His mandate. And and looking at that and sharing that, for some people, it's the very first time they've ever gotten to hear that. But then we also need other ministries like Not For Sale, like World Relief, that, that, that are doing the hard work, that are going into the midst of this sin and freeing individuals from it. The third thing is this. We, we, we've got to focus on Jesus. Now, now, I, I, that's such a cliche thing to say in church. Like, focus on Jesus. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> All your problems will be solved. Actually, the thing is, when you focus on Jesus, life doesn't become easier, it becomes harder. But that's the beauty of it. People always ask, um, is your life easier now that you had Jesus? And, and I say, no, it's become harder, but it's become more rich. Take hold of life that's true life. And that's where true life is found. But here's what we do. This is, I, I've shared with Pastor James before. Um, I, I have a hard time with accountability groups. And it's mostly because it's a bunch of guys, um, for me as a male, that get together and they have the same sort of sin problem. They all struggle with pornography, so they all get together. And then someone, you know, oh, I looked at pornography this week. Oh, man, sorry, grace to you, right? Whereas it's not a, a collective group that have different experiences. They have the same issues, and so they extend a lot of grace. And, and I say, gosh, we've got to do this differently. I remember I was in a group like that one time, and I, I just remember it was the same uh, uh, conversation every week. And they, they would say, man, you know, I stumbled this week, or it would be a few weeks, and they'd have some good weeks. And they'd stumble, and it's like the conversation would be, Okay, don't, don't do it anymore. Don't, we're going to, don't do it. I'm going to be praying for you. I'm going to be, I'm going to, I'm going to call you tomorrow at like 11 o'clock at night because that's when you're, when it usually happens. I'm going to make sure like you and I have a conversation that doesn't, and so, so we talk about the sin more than we talk about the place that we want to go. The way I always describe it is this. We, we, we see the sin and so it's like no, 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 but the place we want to go is over here. But all of our attention is right here. And the only way that we can really get to the place that we want to go is by looking there. And that's what I said to this group. We've got to change the way that we do this. If all we're going to do is focus on the sin, we're going to keep walking back to sin. When I go backpacking, I don't start my trip by looking back at my Subaru. Right? I don't get to the top of the mountain by looking at my Subaru. No, I, I look to the top of the hill. Well, we need to do a better job of saying, okay, yes, that's not where we want to go, but let's look where we want to go. Where is scripture pointing us? That's where our conversations need to be. We need to focus on Jesus. I I actually um, heard it said this way. Uh, There was this poem uh, that was written, and it says, Christ has no body. Christ has no body but yours, no hands, no feet on earth but yours. Yours are the eyes with which he looks, compassion on this world. Yours are the feet with which he walks to do good. Yours are the hands with which he blesses all the world. Yours are the hands, yours are the feet, yours are the eyes, yours are his body. Christ has no body now but yours, no hands, no feet on earth but yours. Yours are the eyes with which he looks, compassion on this world. Christ has no body on earth but yours. What are you going to do with your body? How are you going to utilize it? How is it going to change the world around you? And how is Christ going to use it? The last thing is this. Uh, We need to recognize that God will meet us and others where they're at. And this happens over and over in Scripture. And sometimes we, we try to get people to where we're at rather than meeting them where they're at. And God does this wonderful job of meeting us where we're at. Two quick examples. Genesis 3, 9, right after the, 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 the eating of the, the fruit, we think that a lot of times, because of the way that we talk about it, that God never enters back into the garden or that Adam and Eve go looking for God. But, it's, but the reality is God comes looking for them and God is the one that first asks, where are you? There's also this, this image of John and Peter. This is one of my favorites. Uh, passages uh, and i 'm going to end it with this. Um, John uh, writes about Peter and Jesus, and Jesus is on the shore there 's this miraculous catch of fish they come in they 've had breakfast, uh, and Jesus uh, turns to to Peter, and he asks them these questions now now. They're powerful and wonderful questions, but I, I. He asked them, "Do you love me?" He asked Peter, "Do you love me?" And I thought, I've always thought he asked them three times because Peter denied him three times. But there's something that's so telling about the way if we we look at the Greek of this, John 21 verse 15 through verse 17. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, "Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these?" Jesus is asking Simon. Peter, do you uh, agape me? The word love here is agape. Do you unconditionally love me? And Peter's response is, yes, Lord. He said, you know that I love you. I phileo you. Brotherly love you. Different kind of love. They're talking different loves. So Jesus asks again. Jesus said, feed my lambs. And then again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Do you agape me? And he answered, yes, Lord. You know that I phileo you. So again, Jesus says Agape. Peter says, phileo. They're talking about different loves. And for whatever reason, I don't understand, he then responds this way. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. And then Jesus says this. He said to him, Simon, son of John, do you phileo me? Something happens in that moment. I don't quite understand it, but Jesus comes to this place where he meets Peter where he's at. And says, do you phileo me? He knows where Peter's going, but at that moment, in order to get him where he's he knows that G- Peter is gonna go, Jesus asks him the question that he could respond to. Do you phile me? He meets him where he's at. And I really believe that we serve a God that will meet us where we're at. And we have to believe that for the people that we work with, we have to believe that for ourselves. I truly believe that. If we're going to change the dynamic, the numbers, the things that are going to happen, we're going to have to meet people where they're at. But when we do that, the world can change. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the opportunity to discuss this in a place like this, where we can declare your word, your good word, your transforming word, where we can believe that you will meet us where we are at. Lord, we want to be your body here on earth. I really believe that our God is a God who goes down to the slave market in Corinth, uh, buys that shattered human who knows nothing about, uh, nothing but the pain and hurt and shame because of prostitution they've been in. And he calls for his bride and he makes her into something beautiful. I truly believe that we can be that person sometimes why would we ever go back? Lord I, I just pray that you will continue to, to guide the way that your power of the God will um, just run rampant within the lives the marriages represented in this room and in our city we pray for the power of restoration and the declaration of your name I pray all this in the name above all names, Jesus. Amen. And Let's stand and worship again. Would you please take out your hymns and turn to the doxology number 815. And for after this song, we're going to do that one. i